Striking while the iron's hot to be your authoritative voice for New Mexico soccer. Welcome to We Are Seek and Strike podcast. Sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Brought to you by Beautiful Game Network. Find us on the web at seekandstrikecollective.com. Welcome to another episode of We Are Seek and Strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker. And on this episode, we'll be talking about the latest match with New Mexico United going out to Kentucky to play Lou City FC. Um, today is match day, and later on today, uh, Hartford Athletic will travel to New Mexico to take on our boys in the black and yellow. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into that match later in this episode. But first, I really wanted to just kind of touch on the Loose City match, give a recap, talk about a few points, and, uh, you know, just kind of state the case for why I think this match ultimately was just a precursor um, to what could be for New Mexico, in fact, if they are successful getting through or getting to the postseason and getting through a couple key matchups. I think everything is ultimately within a grasp based upon the way they played the other day. So just kind of going into this match, some of the narratives, some of the things that are out there, if you read uh, my preview on Seek and Strike Collective um, on Sunday uh, morning, um, something that the assistant coach Zach Prince said was to win a championship, you have to win four in a row. I think that that's great logic for Zach to have um, the practical standpoint of it was that New Mexico United had won three in a row to close out September. They were approaching October where they would have seven matches uh, pretty much to play to try to not only capture a postseason position, but also see if they could best it and make it more than just the fourth spot, seeing if they can actually go even up to the second or third spot if possible. Uh, but essentially, the road to continue winning matches knocked on the door of Loose City. You know, Loose City, Troy Lassane described as a standard bearer, uh, the best in the facility, best with the training grounds, with how they created a academy program, a team that has been to the semifinals every year in their existence and even won two USL Cups. Uh, this this Loose City was like, basically, I mean, to put it in simplistic terms, it was like, like this is where I believe Troy Lassane wants to see New Mexico United ultimately. And in the three years that he has been at this club, putting together what would be um, a more comprehensive and more cohesive, rather, uh, might be the word, uh, a more cohesive unit with the team. I mean, look at where, where they're at now. I mean, majority of the roster is two, thir- two and three-year players. 
uh, for the team with just some players coming in, obviously, for their first stint. Um, so all that kind of being said, we're kicking off this October with this this match against Loose City. I want to get into it. Um, on the day, there was 10,349 folks in attendance. Probably some 20 New Mexicans made the trip. Um, ultimately, the stadium um, holds 11,700 seats, but can expand out to 15,304. Um, I'm, I'm sure with overselling, uh, probably with grass areas and so on and so forth. Uh, so nearly packed stadium, though on TV, did not look um, uh, super packed. Maybe folks just chose to sit out of the way. I'm sure based on it was a sunny day, it looked like more folks are probably on the opposing side of the camera. Um, let's talk about the lineup, though, first. The lineup going into this um, was Sergio Rivas, uh, Amanda Moreno, Chris Weehan, Daniel Bruce, Michael Azira, Andrew Tanari, David Najem, Austin Yearwood, Kaylin Wright, and, and Rashid Tete with Alex Tambakis uh, in goal. Um, this lineup was pretty much identical to the one that won in RGV, with the only exceptions being Salim Mohamed and Juan Pablo Guzman um, in the center uh, midfield. And um, I mean, really, no matter how you slice it, this was a uh, a strong lineup. When I see Azira and Tanari together, I kind of think of like, um, um, it's kind of like contents under pressure because you got you got Tanari, which is like he's like what what Troy was saying would describe as his his bulldog. Like he's just kind of got the grit. He you know is he shows a good amount of gamesmanship. Um, he knows just how to stifle the opponent. And then you got Michael Azira, who's just like this communicator, positive guy on the pitch but you know skillfully saying i mean he controls pace um he you know is just a good passer he's got good vision uh so to have those two in the middle really kind of directing traffic between daniel bruce and david najem who are both these wingers who can kind of fly up the sides of of the pitch and create chances for our boys it, it looks good i mean i i like the lineup and you know if we if we talked about substitutions just straight off the bat without really kind of tying the action to it um i thought the subs on the day were good i was a little hmm, beside myself when the first subs were like devin sandoval for chris Weehan and josh Suggs for david najem and the only reason why i felt that way uh, mainly on the devin sandoval sub uh was because i thought do we really want to take Chris Weehan out that soon? Um, but it, it did go to kind of justify itself because Chris really um, just really didn't have much rhythm on the day. I mean, he had one chance earlier on in the, in the match, um, which was a possible header uh, off of Daniel Bruce's assist, but he missed it. And he just had a lot of instances where when he got the ball in front of goal, you know, he, he loves to try to throw the shimmy shake on opponents, the head and shoulders, head fake. And um, it's just, it can be a lot, like to really try to get someone to bite when you're trying to juke them or do a step over. And then you get dispossessed too many times around the front of the goal. Um, it just wasn't, uh, it just didn't help us out, you know? And I kind of do think that um, United, uh, 
the players really do got to think about like okay like when we watch this film like we're setting ourselves up like there's so many instances where they're free they're open in front of the net but the player who's open is the person who maybe doesn't have confidence shooting or they want to pass it off one more time or everyone wants to be the fancy and do little fancy step over moves but the window closes absolutely fast for your shooting when you do that and i just thought that you know while we really has looked really hot in the last couple of matches like man when it came down to him 1v1 with someone like dude you just gotta lose the fancy moves and just go for what is open and, va- and available in front of you um because we needed you we needed you you know so not really having much we action that day um i understood the devin sandoval sub um being in louisville though i kind of thought I would see Ilya Illich on before Devin Sandoval as far as having a big body out there. Um, Ilya Illich did come on eventually for Amanda Moreno. Um, the substitute made sense um, if you, when you, when we talk more about Amanda Moreno on this episode, for why it was probably time to go ahead and just switch out the guard, so to say. Um, the other sub in was. Um, Chalo for Andrew Tanari. Uh, no big surprise there. You would need another player for service after you had taken out David Najem. Um, so the Chalo sub was good for Tanari. And, and to, to the surprise of many listening, um, Andrew Tanari uh, didn't give us what we all wanted in this match was a, a tactical foul. We wanted to see Tanari step on a guy or like just really rough someone up because we've come to look forward to this one foul that he's going to have every match but maybe he's saving it for um someone else within the division but no you know tanari played good that day um for sure um so let's talk a little bit more about united on defense um defensive speak defensively speaking is what i was calling it um united obviously already quite the defensive team so that isn't anything that they really have to truly work on um more than than the next thing um Lou City likes to score you know going into this match we knew Lou City was a team that was averaging two goals a game um and they were only conceding one so you know at the very least you could say okay well this is probably going to be a 2-1 game and obviously for part of the match it was it was a 2-1 game it fit the narrative it was just could United hold uh, Lou City to those two goals and figure out where to get a second one themselves and maybe even a third and try to pull three points out on the road. Um, Lou City also had like a dozen chances in the attacking third in the first half. Um, and so let's kind of transition there. The first half was crazy in this match. Um, United had the option, they had the chance with with Chris Weehan having that header that, that missed outside the box but then straight on for like the next 35 minutes because that happened around the fifth minute for the next 35 minutes it was just all loose city uh united was pretty much playing on their heels uh they were trying to disrupt loose city but loose city was just they were just too strong i mean they were it was a, it was a combination of united getting the ball and then turning it over either by a bad giveaway um or as they would get the ball and, and clear it, they would clear it right back into possession for Lou City. Um, and, and Lou City had a, had a hell of a time. I mean, essentially, they scored two goals uh, within uh, within like a 15-minute stint. Um, the seventh-minute goal that ha- happened 
Um, this one was a very interesting setup because there was only one team that reminds me of the way Lou City was playing around this time in the, in the match. Seven minutes in, Lou City takes the left flank and Rashid Tete kind of comes out to challenge the, the, um, the player who is attacking. Uh, so Rashid Tete comes out, kind of tracks back in inward. Um, the player sends a, a, a cross over into the box to um, Oscar or to uh, gosh, I don't know who the player was that connected it, but sent a ball over to a player that was making a run into the box on the the left side. That player basically passes it to a Paolo Piccolo who slides in for the finish. Um, so essentially, Caden Ryden um, is there, and so is Austin Yearwood. So Caitlin Ryden tries to pick up the player who initially touches the ball, who passes it to Piccolo, uh, whereas Austin Yearwood is also there to try to uh, stop the guy who's in the sliding finish. So really, I mean, the team that reminds me of the way Lucidity was playing there is El Paso Locomotive. If you think about El Paso in the first couple of years, they absolutely loved uh, to send those square balls right into the goal box um, from the side. And there was always a player making runs at the top. Usually in the first year, it was uh, Jerome Kieselwetter um, that was making these. And then, of course, in, the, in this year and part of last year, it was uh, Leandro Carrijo. And so you always knew that there was someone who could kind of come in and make these runs. And I think that United just hasn't really played a team with that sort of style in a little while but that's the first team that came to mind when i saw that style pattern um in the 14th minute brian Owenby dials down about a ball to oscar jimenez um, that paulo piccolo scores on now essentially what this looked like was like so in the 12th minute to kind of set this up um caitlin ryan clears a ball and he clears it right to uh to brian Owenby of Lou City gives it right to him. Uh, Brian Owenby comes in and basically passes a ball to Oscar Jimenez that was intended for Antoine Copano. And it was essentially just the same thing. It was like a dump off pass to Oscar Jimenez. No one challenged Oscar. Oscar then sends a pass over to a Antoine Copano that's like basically just kind of running in from the top of the bo box. But he's running in behind um, United defenders who can't see him. So it's just kind of set up to be just a play where he just basically sticks his foot in and then gets it over um, over Alex Tabakis. But that didn't go through. So then two minutes later, they're running essentially the same play that United didn't pick up on the first time and they scored on it. And so this made it 2-0 Lou City. And it's you're just kind of thinking like, okay, so Rashid Tete picks up his guy. He sees the guy kind of coming in, but... Um, Kalen Ryden's got limited vision, so he picks up the guy who's running at him at the time, um, which ultimately ends up being the guy who scores. And then Austin Yearwood um, doesn't initially see his guy uh, because of the fact that he's kind of run right by him um, as the guy who just dumped off the pass. And so here it is. You got Lou City scoring two quick goals um, before the 15th minute. United is just like frazzled at this point. Um, one other real big chance was Cameron Lancaster. Um, he had, he got a ball from a bad giveaway from Andrew Tenari, and he essentially turned around, took it up to the the goal, and just tried to take the shot himself. And uh, you know, Alex Tanbaka saved that one. But 
that was kind of the spell in the first half was just lose city all over united and you know and a lot of it was bad giveaways it was just not having good vision um you know in some instances the consistency of play wasn't there some players were um you know balls out other players were just kind of taking their time not really pressing and that part of it could have been a little bit of maybe the strategy on the day perhaps it could have also been just you know these players being a little bit lazy because i mean sometimes you know if troy's not barking at them they're just kind of chilling and you see it you see their energy levels kind of drop you see their efforts you know balls that they should be chasing down they're not chasing down um so just defensively speaking i don't think that united was really um on the top of their game uh for something that they specialize in it wasn't necessarily 100 percent that day and that made a big deal now let's kind of switch the, the switch the, the side of it let's talk a little bit about um united's attacking so we obviously know you know united's defense we know how loose city scored their goals um, at least their first two goals um but let's talk about united's attacking on the day because again in the first half it was it was pretty much invisible i told you chris we had attempted a header by bruce that he missed that um it was a pretty much very quiet half for united i mean i remember watching this match and just thinking okay they've got to find at least one goal before the half they have to be able to cut this lead in half because if they go in without that momentum they're going to come out without that momentum and it's going to be really hard to try to find two goals in a half you know so so they would keep playing um looking for the goal and it comes pretty much about a minute uh before half where daniel bruce is taking a ball up the left side of uh, of the goal box and he sends a cross back to the top of the box in which at the same time Amanda Moreno is making a run quite similar to the runs that Lucidi had been making and uh, he makes a run and he basically just toe punches the ball um, into the goal and so at this point it's 2-1 United things are looking up so United's still just obviously playing they're finding their fresh legs underneath them um, so um, that ultimately we started to see uh, United come alive so it goes in half you're thinking, okay, what is Troy going to tell these guys at the halftime? Is he going to tell them, hey, guys, we got a goal, so that's a lot more than I expected? Is he going to say, hey, we got this goal, but look, that's not enough. We need to get two more goals. We don't stop till we get two more goals. I mean, I don't know what the conversation was, um, but I would, I would think that he would say, look, let's get the next goal, and then once it's drawn even, let's go for it. You know, if we only walk out of here with one point, not a bad look. We just need to get make sure that we get something. So it could have went like that. Um, so, so then we get back from half. Uh, United ultimately does kind of dominate the first 30 minutes of the of the second half. Um, everything from just having good pace to uh, threading the ball, threading, uh, threading the pass having crisp passes to each player. Those were there. Um, they had good vision. Sergio Rivas was someone who really stuck out to me. Because Sergio Rivas really was uh, making a lot of the tackles. He was, you know, um, creating a lot of the chances, a lot of the a lot of the clearances. I and mean, he was just very smart on the day for the most part. Um, it during, during a lot of the second half too, there still were, 
um, times when we would win the ball and then we would just give it right back. Um, we, we had, I would say that probably two of the best chances in the second half came from Amanda Moreno. Um, one initially, um, in which, um, in which, um, one in which Cello had sent a ball over to him. But let me, let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, Josh Suggs had sent a ball over to Amanda Moreno and Amanda Moreno had got it and just basically, um, it's kind of skied it over. I mean, essentially it was what, what had happened, but you know, it looks like it might've been the second score uh, for United on the day. Um, but Amanda skied it over and then maybe like, um, just before Amanda would get it the second time, uh, or as, as he's getting it the second time, rather, it was a, it was a kind of a, a cross from cello and it comes into an area where essentially Amanda Moreno gets it. He takes the ball and just tries to kind of kick it from kind of a side angle and it hits the crossbar and, and there are United players around, but no one who's like an immediate um, area to like kind of grab the ball and kind of keep it going. But there was a moment there where it was like United just dominating, just getting um, good looks on the, on the, on the, um, on the attack and Blue City just trying to figure out what to do to kind of slap them. Uh, there was one thing that kind of drove me nuts though <laughs> in this match, and it was it was shooters just shooting just to shoot. Like Josh Suggs gets the, gets the ball, he's left footed, he's left left footed, he's on the left side of the pitch, and he gets the ball, he wins it, but then he turns around and just takes a shot, like just shoots it off, and it's like this is like wide and left, and I'm thinking to myself like. Why are you even firing that shot off, Josh? Like, I mean, that's not even a shot. Like, you turned around, you had enough time to see. Like, who are you kicking that to? And I just think that we had a lot of those instances where, um, where the action just didn't make sense. It's like they were just so committed to to whatever they're about to do, and it was. I, I think that they go back and watch the film, and they probably really would uh, minimize a lot of the error. And a lot of it's just they just weren't thinking. Um, so that's just something I had to say because that, that was just so frustrating to watch. Um, for the most part, the second half was like a lot of oohs and ahs. There was just a lot of instances where I think really if Amanda Moreno gets his two chances, um, I think we're sitting good. But I mean, you also have to think about Lou City getting there. So first half easily could have been a 4-0 looking game. Um, the Chris Weehan miss, I don't think it was close at all. So, I mean, it could have easily been 4-0. Uh, we get that score 4-1. We're coming out really trying to dig deep, dig deep and find a way to get back into this game. So, I mean, to say that it was 2-1 by half, you know, we came out looking for that second goal. That was a lot of what, what it was. Um, and I think if Amon Moreno even sinks one of his attempts, it's a tight game. I think that it changes the complexity of the game. It changes... Um, the subs that Lou City made because they they definitely were bringing in some other um, key pieces. They brought in Jimmy McLaughlin. They brought in Niall McCabe at some point, um, and you know, and then they started to kind of obviously reverse like what they were doing. I mean, because you have to think from their vantage point with Lou City, they were looking to close this game out. You know, around 70 minutes. You know, it had been a, a nice streak of United trying to find the second goal and getting really close um, with all their efforts uh, for the most part. So as United's trying to find the second goal, Blue City's trying to find the third goal, 
Um, basically what happens, I'm calling this the dagger at 74. Uh, Jimmy McLaughlin gets a ball. Um, he basically gets a pass uh, from Peter McMahon, I believe that's his name, um, off of a United turnover. They send the ball to Jimmy McLaughlin. McLaughlin's got Rashid Tete on the left side in kind of a 1v1 situation. And, uh, and McLaughlin basically does a step over on Tete while Tete is just still just kind of, I think he's in a gaze trying to make sure that he doesn't give up any ground, but uh, he allows McLaughlin to walk him back and he gets him outside of the box just enough to where he can put a shot past Tete that ultimately goes past, past Timbakas too. Um, so you're, I'm kind of thinking to myself like, you know, at the angle that he was on Tete, Timbakas was so was so much like behind Tete, like he almost needed to stay a little bit off of him uh, just so that he can kind of, you know, have a little space just in case the ball were to go that wide. But no, he was right behind Tete for the most part, just kind of, you know, from the way he saw it. And uh, uh, McLaughlin gets that ball in the goal. It's the third goal for Lou City. And United at this point are down 3-1. Um, and so that just kind of changed, obviously, so much drive for United, even though they were still looking for the second goal uh, for much of the game. They were trying to finish it out. Um, so shortly after this would happen, obviously then um, Amanda Moreno would come off and um, and then they would be looking uh, they would be looking for uh, the second goal with Ilya Illich on the pitch, Devin Sandoval on the pitch. So, you know, kind of a different lineup at this point. Um, and yeah, and then that just kind of wrapped up the game. I mean, they're, you know, I think that Loop City saw much of United kind of still being active, still trying to come around. The game starts to get somewhat chippy, but still kind of respectful between the sides, just because I'm sure, you know, Brandon Morris was, you know, the director of soccer operations there, and he was there in the house, and of course, you know, um, Ilya Illich is there, and he's like, you know, being kind of welcomed back to Louisville since he was on the two-time champion squad, and there really wasn't one of those games where it was like they were going to get chippy or get on each other, because it really wasn't a rivalry. It was just kind of like a mutual respect match, I think, for the most part, with a little bit of gamesmanship. Um, so, I mean, overall, United, I think that, like, this game didn't show me anything new as far as if I were really trying to rate it, like, to say, oh, okay, well, if we beat Lou City, are we better than Phoenix? It's hard to say because I feel like United plays up to opponents and then they play down to other opponents that they shouldn't be playing down to. Um, so I think the only thing it really would have told me if we would have won this game was that like you know that they had learned maybe from the matches that were tougher before this like when they played colorado springs switchbacks troy lesane was really apt to say that he felt the phoenix rising match kind of prepared him for it and um and i mean you want that to be solely true when you go into a match like Lou city i mean you know he troy did reference like you know this Lucy the game kind of maybe fitting along the lines of beating the MLS teams uh, in the Open Cup around two years ago, as well as beating a strong Phoenix team. Um, but it's like, you know, this is an anomaly for us. Like, I think most people probably thought going into this match we were going to lose it and just how big was the spread going to be. Um, I thought that we could have at least got one point 
getting a win definitely would have been very optimistic. I don't think that I felt we had that sort of edge on Loose City. I think that if we were lucky and we got a couple goals that we could have probably pulled out the win on them. But ultimately, um, getting a point would have been great. Um, losing 3-1, I mean, I know that's the scoreline, but honestly, it was a 2-1 push for like 30 minutes into the second half and for the United being on the road and really looking for that second goal and uh, Loose City really having to kind of fight back on the grind um, to where they started to have the seven new players to find the closing goal. I think that was a a good look for United, so to say. Um, So overall, just kind of wrapping this up, I think United, obviously they were a defensive team. Maybe they kind of, you know, need to look at other ways to be defensive. They need to definitely kind of go back and reassess a lot of the space that they give up to opponents, especially when they're in a three back and they're coming against a squad that, you know, is a little bit more proficient and scoring goals in the box like that. Um, because they're, they're really set up against teams who like to take shots from outside. Uh, United needed to disrupt Loose City. I don't really think they did that in the first half. In the second half, I think they did because they had a little bit of momentum. They you know, found some success from what they were doing, and they were after it. But as soon as that third goal goes in, I think that they were still trying to get after it. But, I mean, they were going to have to find two goals, and they I don't think they had enough depth on their roster to really be able to like regenerate what they had um, 30 minutes prior before that. Uh, they needed to be fast in transition. I think United got some, I think they won some balls in some interesting places, but again, they were turning the balls over so quickly. I mean, they were kicking it right back into opposition or um, they were just clearing it out of bounds or they were, you know, putting it so far across the pitch, the ball was falling into, um, it's falling into like a turnover. So it's just like, you know, we need to be able to win balls and know where it's going the next way right away and not just kick it over to someone and lose it. That's the, the biggest point I'm trying to make there. Uh, United needs to keep dangerous players off the ball. I mean, yeah, they're playing this first time opponent, but I know that they had to do their, their research. I know Troy had to let them know like, hey, this guy, this guy, and this guy. But those guys, for the most part, were getting the ball. I mean, okay, so, you know, McLaughlin didn't start, but he eventually got the ball. He was a dangerous player. Um, Piccolo got a brace. Obviously, after his first one, he should have been ID'd as, hey, we can't let this guy score. Hopano was right there, too. Uh, Niall McCabe was right there, too. There were so many players. Brian Owensby. I mean, you know, they didn't do a good job of trying to keep the dangerous players off the ball because all the dangerous players were getting the ball. And then lastly, the United needed to attack, attack, attack. I thought that they did that in the second half. I thought that they did that once they got that first score uh, towards the end of the first half. They were attacking, but I mean, there was still a good amount of error in there at the same time with them. So um, they just got to reduce that error. You know, luckily there's a match coming up uh, today with Hartford Athletic, which we're going to get into here in a minute. And, um, you know, it's a chance for them to really kind of improve on some of the defensive error that was made um, in the match against Lou City. Uh, so yeah, so let's talk about it. The next the next match is today. Um, and uh, ultimately, uh, they're playing the former club of Harry Swartz, uh, Hartford Athletic, you know, a squad that Harry played 
as kind of a, a little bit of a winger for um, at times. And, um, you know, they're in the Eastern Athletic Division. Uh, they're still chasing a playoff position. They're sitting sixth in their division currently. Um, they, uh, they're sitting there with Charleston Battery and Charlotte Independence as well. Uh, their roster is comprised of, obviously, players who are originals for uh, Hartford Athletic, but also um, some players from uh, Rio Grande Valley, uh, Reno 1868, Fresno, um, and then some other like international squads. I believe a player from even San Antonio FC as uh, one of their previous rosters is on there. And then some loanies from the MLS. Um, they lost their past two matches. Um, their current form out of five, the last five matches is they've lost the four out of five. Um, but like I said, to get a little bit more specific, they lost the last two. They won the one before that and then lost the two before that. Um, and the, the match that they won was against Real Monarch. So uh, take that as you will. Um, they lost, they, they beat Real Monarchs, but they lost the other four matches in their, in their conference. Um, they're currently playing in a 4-1-4-1 formation. Um, so obviously I think that if you consider that they're playing in a 4-1-4-1 and we've, we've been playing in a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, and even sometimes a 4-2-3-1 that, you know, with them having those four players back there, there's obviously a lot of opportunity to double up on the players who like to come out wide. Um, the good thing, though, about that probably is we've been sending Bruce up there so much to try to pull um, pull defenders out that if Bruce can get up to the, the center back or even the other defenders, he can pull them out and maybe find some action in the center of the box for for Chris Weehan um, so you know so let's that is probably a positive I mean obviously they're going to be looking to get these to get um, Hartford Athletic out of their defensive shape um, so you know you have the the, the one there in the, the, the midfield uh, obviously it's going to play as an anchor but you know can they pull him out of the middle uh, it's really going to depend on what we send up either flank either channel um, so we're, we are seeing that they're playing a 4-1-4-1 um, probably get into it a little bit more on a uh, match preview to follow this episode um, after I'll probably watch a little bit more tape on Hartford Athletic to see kind of how it moves um, so who are some of the players playing for Hartford Athletic I did mention that um, some of the teams from the Western Conference are showing up in the chemistry of the roster. Um, Juan Obregion uh, Jr., he currently uh, leads um, Hartford Athletic with seven goals from 36 shots. Uh, he played on the 1920 edition of the Rio Grande Valley Toros, uh, so Jello will obviously know him pretty well. Uh, Daniel Barrera has seven goals, nine assists, 30 shots and 62 chances. Um, Daniel Barrera actually has played on Hartford Athletic the whole time, so uh, he is definitely one of their day ones. Um, center back Thomas Jan Gigian um, played at Reno, and he played at Reno through 16 through 20. So definitely Chris Weehan and Sergio Rivas uh, will know him. He plays as a center back position, so that could be a, a telling matchup through the night. Um, goalkeeper, um, the goalkeeper played, uh, did play sometime at, 
New England Revolution, as well as, um, as well as uh, NYCFC on loan for the most part. Um, he, let me tell you his name. Goalkeeper's name is Jefferson Caldwell. And like I said, he he played for the New England Revolution. Uh, New York City FC was kind of on loan. Uh, played for Memphis 901. It's really where he probably spent most of his time was on Memphis 901 for a couple stints as well. Um, so that's, that's who is sitting in the net for Hartford Athletic. Um, so... I think the biggest thing as far as United head into this match is they obviously got to get the three points. I mean, they have to they have to get the wins at home. They have four home games remaining for the season, so that has to be their main focus. Um, again, coming out of the Loose City match, I think they really have to have refined some of their practices on, on defense. One of them is that they have to really not give up as much space as they do. They can't have players running in the front of the box as much as they do. Um, but with that three-back pickup, you know, uh, I think Troy has to have made some made some changes if things weren't working out. Um, you know, one thing that he could have done in that Lucidity match is had switched Austin Yearwood and, and Rashid Tete, switched the sides that they were on, uh, because obviously Yearwood is a little bit more faster, a little bit more defensive than Tete. And I think that, you know, at the, any point when, you know, they were choosing that side as much as they were, um, that, that that's where they needed to to change up and put your wood on the other side um, and, we, and we've seen Troy do that and I'm sure that could maybe be an option heading into this Hartford athletic game um, I think that United um, again they came out very defensive in a game with a team that loves a score um, Hartford athletic has not maybe been scoring as many goals um, so to me this maybe serves as a game where they can kind of come out and get on the attack a little bit more. Maybe they won't be having to bar down as much on defense, but they ultimately need to come out and just kind of give a full assault. The one thing that's going to kind of hinder United, I think, going into the Hartford Athletic match is that they're not going to have Amanda Moreno because Amanda Moreno now is off doing international duty for the World Cup qualifier uh, with his national team, uh, La Selecta, the El Salvador team. And so now United doesn't have him for this match. And so, you know, it's going to be a matter of, you know, who wants to step up now and and uh, and make some things happen for the team. Uh, the one thing I haven't really enjoyed at this point with uh, Moreno being out is that you really don't have another player like him or that can really add that sort of energy. I mean, you know, we've got the academy players, but we really haven't seen them uh, get to let be let loose at this point. Um, so more of it is kind of falling in the hands of Rivas and Weehan to try to figure things out with Cello kind of playing a part in it. But Devin and Ilya Ilyich really just haven't um, been a proper replacement or even an addition to really give us anything more there. So um, that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, I think, honestly. The games that Amano Moreno has gone, uh, which so far looks like Hartford Athletic and uh, RGV on Saturday. Um, thinking he should be, be-, be back uh, before the next match, which is the following week. Um, on the 17th in San Diego. Uh, so ultimately, we just got to get through these two matches. I think we're going to see so much um, 
in the match with Hartford Athletic that shouldn't let us know what it looks like when they play three days later against RGB. Um, so just some final things to kind of wrap up. Um, cause I don't think I'm going to do a prediction at this time. Maybe I will by the time I do the match preview. Um, if United wins tomorrow, United will be three points over RGV heading into the match where they play with RGV. Uh, so that will ultimately be uh, putting us at 40 points with RGV at 37. So that's another uh, six pointer, if you will, that really matters. It's the three points we need playing head to head with them, but it just puts us a little further out from them. Um, and then the other matches that are being played tomorrow, which I think we have to be a little bit, or not tomorrow, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, I'm recording this on the the eve of of Wednesday. It's pretty much when you're getting it, it's gonna be Wednesday. So, um, so I'll say that on Wednesday also, um, Austin plays Tacoma Defiance. And so you're really wanting Tacoma Defiance to steal a win against Austin just to keep them, um, keep them a little bit distance from us as far as so but we need to get a win though as well like that's just kind of part of it um el paso plays san antonio and obviously you kind of want you want san antonio to lose because you don't want them to keep moving further up because it makes it harder for us to attain you know points to be able to get a higher spot but you almost don't want el paso to win because you don't want them to you know, spread themselves out further. But I think at this point we want we want San Antonio to lose or draw um, just to keep them within reach. And then Friday, uh, Real Monarchs play switchbacks. And so obviously in that match, you want uh, you want Real Monarchs to win. They're already eliminated. So you at this point, you want Real Monarchs to steal a win or to get Colorado in a draw. So that way we can, you know, obviously keep winning and try to uh, jump spots. Now, I know this is, it's a whole lot. It's a whole lot for us to depend on. Like, we're here at a place again where we need to, we need other teams to lose or draw, and we need to win. And winning is not always a surefire thing with us during a crunch time. So uh, it's a lot to ask for. But you know, the biggest thing is let's get the win against Hartford Athletic on Wednesday or tomorrow or today. Like I said, you know, you know what it is. I don't, and I need to further clarify. Um, but. Uh, um, that's basically it. So, um, so thank you for just kind of sitting with me here as I wrapped up the loose city match, as I talked a little bit into this Hartford athletic match, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll be checking out some new things, uh, for seek and strike podcast as we move forward, definitely continue to have guests on as hosts and, um, you know, and then just maybe even looking at, um, how we'll do some of the programming uh, in the off season and whatnot. So, um, but I appreciate you listening tonight to this uh, episode, um, talking about the loose city recap and the Hartford athletic preview. You've been listening to another edition of we are seek and strike podcast. I'm your host, Chris Walker, and uh, I will be with you on the next one. Thanks. You've been listening to We Are Seek and Strike podcast, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network. Find more USL-related podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. To never miss new content, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Seek and Strike Collective. 
Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier to MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your new custom kit today at IcarusFC.com. Thank you.